know, it's often it's the least flashy thing, I think, that, that, that tends to be the most important. It's not big stage shows, it's, it's not high-level competition, it's just the, the daily work of being part of this tradition. It's playing the tunes and dancing the steps mm-hmm. with other people, and that's, that's all that matters. Hi there. Welcome to Between the Jigs, an occasional podcast from the Rejigged Festival in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, Canada. I am so glad you could join us. I'm Christine Donnelly-Mohn, and I'm part of the Rejig team. Our festival is an annual three-day celebration of new directions in Celtic music and dance, featuring concerts, workshops, sessions, and so much fun. Today, I'm pretty psyched to share with you an interview that Elizabeth McDonald and I conducted with Jackie O'Reilly last spring. Jackie's an Irish dancer and an old friend of ours. She's come up to Nova Scotia a few times now. She and her husband, Ilan Piper Joey Abarda, recently participated in Rejig's completely online festival last October. In this interview, Jackie talks about her approach to Irish dance, what it's like to be an artist in the current pandemic, and her involvement in an exciting project called From the Floor. Let's get right into it, shall we? It's been 10 years since uh, you first I mean, made your debut at Rejigged here. <laughs> you a long time friend. I think you've been to three Rejigs. And uh, and uh, delighted us delighted us every time. But I, I recall that uh, you found your way here in 2010 um, because of circumstances that uh, I think you can elaborate on. You came up with uh, our wonderful Kieran Jordan, also yeah. a, a friend of ours. Yeah, that was that was a great treat to come up. Although I was sort of coming up to be the the legs and the feet of. Uh, of Kieran because she was suffering uh, an injury, which she's long since healed from, but she was unable to dance at that time, but uh, certainly able to, to teach and direct. So I, I was the lucky <laughs> tag along really, and uh, got to come meet you guys and sort of help her out. And I was really delighted to do that. And that sort of started a long, a long friendship now. Yes, so yes, yes. Yeah. It's a bonus, a <laughs> bonus for us. Yes. Definitely. Have, you, have you both you and Kieran, uh, Kieran, join us. When I when I talk to dancers, uh, I often hear stories of them, uh, you know, being trotted off to dance class at age three and four. But your story of how you came to dance is is slightly different. As I recall, you came a little bit later to dance, and uh, I'd like to have you tell us a bit about that. Yeah, definitely. So I started dancing when I was around sixteen or seventeen, which is definitely later than your average step dancer. Um, as a kid, I, I loved Irish music. I first heard it when I was around seven or eight. And, uh, you know, from that point on, I sort of begged my parents to drive me around to Irish music concerts and anything I could really get near. Um, but for some reason it never occurred to me or to my parents that I could play Irish music. You know, I showed a great interest in Irish music, but we just didn't have the sort of musical foundation in my family to, uh, or the proximity to it to, to figure out a way to, <laughs> no, no one ever suggested it basically. So it really wasn't until later that I was able to get involved. Um, as a teenager, I was at an Irish festival, the, the yearly one <clears throat> back when I was at Stonehill college and I was at the set dancing tent and I was unfamiliar with it, but was watching the set dancers and, you know, they looked like they were having a great time and the music was incredible. And there was a set, a set that was short one dancer and I sort of very timidly, you know, raised my hand and got pulled into a set. And um, it was kind of, you know, a big moment. It, it was sort of, it all clicked, I guess. It it was it was a way in. It was a way that I could be part of this community. And um, sort of, you know, this music that I'd been so devoted to as a, as a kid, that it was, it was a way to, to be a part of it all. So yeah, I started set dancing from that point forward. Yes. I was going to ask you what drew you to dance, but in, in essence, you were drawn into dance. Yeah. 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 I just for our listeners who aren't familiar with 
the Irish dance scene. Can you just describe a little bit what a set dance is? Yeah, so set dancing is, is social dancing. Um, it's done in cup for a, a set of eight or four couples. And it's, you know, you're, you're in a partner hold with your own partner, but you interact with all the other members of the set. So it's, um, it's sort of a, it's not so much a performance style of Irish dancing. It's really a, a de democratic sort of dancing for the people. And it um, sort of looks like American square dancing, if, if you're familiar with that, but it has its own percussive footwork and uh, a really strong connection with traditional music. And it's done, you know, sort of in festivals, celebratory settings, pubs, houses. It's, it's a party, party dance kind of. And from there you moved into, you built on the set dancing and moved into Shano, send old stuff. Yeah. Stuff. Yep. Yep. When I went away to college, uh, there was no set dancing. I went up to college in uh, Vermont up in UVM, but there was step dancing up there. And, you know, not growing up as a step dancer or a dancer really of any kind, I mm. it took me a long time to sort of identify as a dancer and to feel that I could, you know, what, what business would I have step dancing? I would have felt that way, you know, as a teenager. But as I went on, I, um, I just wanted to keep dancing. So I was happy to do, to do any, any style of Irish dance that I could find. And up in Vermont, I step danced with the McNeish School of Irish mm -hmm. Dance. Alice McNeish runs that school. She's a wonderful, wonderful woman and a dancer. And her program really was uh, kind of unique in the step dancing competitive step dancing world in the sense that she prioritized community, which is the same thing that drew me into set dancing. So it, it sort of was a natural path forward. Um, from there, as a senior in college, I studied abroad. I went to the University College Cork in Ireland, and I got to take classes with Peggy McTaggart, the great um, Cork step dancer, old style step dancer, mm. which was such a treat. And uh, it really, I guess, was my first exposure to old style step dancing, although I wouldn't have known it at the time necessarily to me, you know, it was, it was just step dancing. Um, and so that, that lot of good memories from that time. And then I guess the rest is history. I came back here, kept dancing a lot. I met Kieran Jordan, started dancing a lot with her and, um, have spent really the last 10 or 15 years traveling all over, learning, teaching, mostly, mm -hmm. mostly learning. I'll say yes. never stop learning. But. but when we first met, um, you were a graduate student, student at the time, weren't you, in environmental studies? Yeah. Yeah. And I am curious, what prompted you to, if you will, switch, switch career directions and and uh, and opt for a, a life in the arts? Well, I guess you could say I was obsessed with dancing. You know, in in the singular way that. Um, people, uh, you know, young people get focused on a thing, you know, when you're in your teens, your early 20s, and you have time, which adults don't have, but <laughs> young people do, you have the luxury of time. And um, all I wanted to do was dance. I went to bed thinking about it, I woke up thinking about it. And I think because I started later, I felt, you know, I had to make up for lost time, maybe, you know, somewhere. Mm. So I, I really just wanted to spend all my time dancing and learning. And um, I was kind of compelled to focus on that. And I think also as a dancer, um, because what you're doing is is physical, even if you don't know it, I think you have the sense that you should probably be doing it while you're young and not put it off. Mm -hmm. um, and while I, you know, I do love environmental science and some of the work I've done in that area um, at that point, and really even still, you know, the thing that that makes me get up in the morning has been dance. So I've put more of my energy into that and see how the balance goes. Yeah. And as an Irish dancer, Jackie, you occupy a, an interesting space in the, in the Irish dance spectrum because you do specialize in two of the older traditions of, of percussive dance, Shanos and, and old style styles that perhaps are, are, less well-known to, to audiences. Um, what is it about the Shanos and the old style step? Um, and you can define both of them for our, for our listeners. Uh, but what is about these two styles in particular that speaks to you? That's a great question. Um, so, you know, old style step dancing is kind of loosely defined as it's sort of the precursor to modern day step dancing. And it's really anything 
danced between roughly mid 1700s up to about the 1930s, you know, you loosely. Um, but it's, uh, it's a style of step dancing that's very closely connected to the music. It, it parallels um, traditional music and that you, you know, you dance at the speed that musicians play at. That's one thing that really appeals. It's very in balance with, with traditional music. Um, that's tradition. That's old style step dancing. Um, Shanos, which, you know, translates to old style. Shanos literally means old style is uh, sort of a related tradition, but it's, it's a, it's a tradition that is closely linked to Connemara and the West of Ireland. And it's an improvised percussive dance form. It's low to the ground. It's very expressive. Um, and it's, sort of making an interpretation of the music as you're hearing it with your feet. Um, so, you know, one of the reasons that I love Shano's dance is the room for individualism within it. Mm. Every dancer can be and should be really their own, have their own style and their own take on the music. There's, there's room for everybody more or less, which is, which is really refreshing. Um, for old style step dancing, um, you know, I actually feel the same way about it. Step dancing, modern step dancing is seen to be, you know, pretty regimented, pretty um, formalized and competitive. You know, that's that goes part and parcel with it. Old style step dancing actually really does have room for individualism as well. There's a lot of stylistic differences between dancers. Uh, you can learn a step, but you're, you're still expected to put your own uh, take on it. You can play with... Um, um, sort of accent notes and emphases within it, which is really refreshing in the world of step dancing. Um, you know, I also, I have sort of a, a fascination and a love of reviving old steps, learning old steps from people, sort of the connection that you get from learning a step from a person and then, you know, hearing where they learned it from, there's a story behind it. And you've had this experience of traveling to them, learning it, and and then you pass it on. So you become part of the thread of of that step's story and history. And I love that part of it. Um, as a, a person that, that loves learning old steps, and I guess I'll say collecting old steps, but I sort of shy away from the term collector, is that uh, I'm really interested in how steps in someone's repertoire have meaning. Like what, what you know, there's, there's hundreds of steps you could, you could learn you could learn and dance hundreds of steps, but what makes any one step special and what gives it meaning? And that's sort of the experience that you have learning from some learning it from someone, dancing it with someone else throughout your life, or you know, performing it in different settings, in social settings, uh, late night parties, whatever it is, and sort of how each time you dance a step, you're adding a tiny layer of meaning to it for yourself. And I think that's what that's what makes a repertoire special and and makes it get passed on to the next generation so mm -hmm. that was a really roundabout way of answering why i like those two things mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but in in uh, in in a sense you're you are becoming a tradition bearer as well i i take i take the responsibility of passing on this tradition very seriously um you know there's work that i do that falls maybe more into the creative side that i i love and is very um sort of feeds me in one way, but the other side of, I guess the great responsibility of learning a repertoire and then uh, <laughs> maintaining it over your lifetime. That's actually a huge part of old style step dancing and, and Shano's dance mm -hmm. is the dedication that it takes to <clears throat> maintain a large rep repertoire. Well, not even large, whatever your repertoire is. Um, it takes practice, <laughs> you know, through the weeks, months and years and it's a little bit like a long-term relationship you know it, it you you need to really put in the the uh the time and you have to love it in a certain way because it's it's not going to give anything back to you it doesn't owe you anything you know it's um hmm. it's it's a thing that you've you know I, you have to take whatever whatever ability or aptitude you've been blessed with whatever level that is it could be anything and 
you have to then run into this repertoire and, and be lucky enough to find the thing that you think is beautiful and meaningful. And if you have both of those things, then it's your job to protect it and to share it <laughs> over your lifetime. So what is it you find beautiful and meaningful? Well, <clears throat> I think, yeah, I think, I think that everyone, you know, people, not just artists, are searching for beauty and meaning and connection. And um, for me, this particular set of movements and rhythm and the way that they connect with the music and really most importantly, the connection between the people that are doing it, um, that's what beauty looks like to me, I guess, you know? Yes. Um, and very rarely, you know, on a very good day or a very good night, I think all of us might be lucky enough to catch some small glimpse of the true meaning of everything. And uh, yeah, that's, that's sort of what inspires me to, to keep doing this and to hold on to this repertoire and, and pass it on. Yeah, for those moments. Yes, those moments. So over the past uh, 10 years since I've known you, you've done some fascinating creative uh, work, wonderful research work and collaborative work, not, and of course, uh, uh, with your husband, uh, Joya Barta. Um, but uh, outside of, uh, from the floor, which we'll discuss in a bit more detail uh, later, what have been some of the highlights for you? What are you most proud of? Actually, just this spring, I've finished up 10 years of my dance program, which is O'Reilly Irish Dance. So it's been 10 years now of teaching non-competitive Irish dance, that's Shanna's old style step dancing and set dancing to kids and teens here in Boston. Um, that I'm extraordinarily proud of. It's been a, a wonderful decade and a lot of the kids now sort of are heading off to college and growing up, but watching them transform into really sensitive, uh, good dancers has been very rewarding. Um, they're musical, they understand how to talk to musicians, how to work with musicians. Um, they, you know, are carrying on some of the repertoire that I passed on to them, which is really important to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one, one thing I've gotten to work on that I've been uh, really proud to play a small part in is um, working a little bit with Michael Tuberty in his um, volume two of uh, traditional Irish step dancing. So, mm -hmm. you know, Michael released, Michael and his, his, uh, his wife, Celine released a, a great collection of step dances um, from Claire, from the Dan, from Dan Fury and James Keane to, to step dancers there. And this body of work really has united step dancers all over. It's a, it's a lovely repertoire that bridge the gap between uh, social dancing and step dancing. There are step dances that have refrains and, um, it's sort of step dancing that everyone can learn and do. So it's really sort of community focused step dancing. And I, I, I love that repertoire. And um, I was able to, to work with Michael on sort of proofreading the notation for the second volume of that. There's, there's a whole uh, other, there's a whole, um, a lot of field footage that was still out there that I had gotten a chance to view and spend a lot of time with and uh, a lot of material that hadn't yet been published and um, got to, sort of in the small part talk Michael into releasing volume two and uh, got to edit the notation and play it just play a small part in helping that get out there so I was really proud of that work So often in, in performance, in uh, traditional percussive performance, it, it does seem as if, uh, uh, from an audience member's perspective, that the uh, the step dancers come on as, uh, I call them as exclamation marks. <laughs> you come mm -hmm. on, you dazzle, you leave. You come back <laughs> a bit later, you dazzle, you leave. But uh, what's what's so so delightful about uh, From the Floor is that you, you've brought dancer and musician together in this, this beautiful balanced relationship where one you know, complements the other and, and each support the other to, to bring, out, bring out the best in the music and music and the dance. Um, I, I'm fascinated the story, the inspiration uh, and the purpose behind From the Floor. What, what brought you and uh, 
Rebecca McGowan, your collaborator, and another beautiful dancer together. Uh, what did you want to achieve? Yeah, From the Floor is a visual album of Irish dance and music. It's six tracks of traditional and original choreography, filmed in collaboration with my dance partner, Rebecca McGowan, musicians Chris Stevens and Nathan Gorley, and uh, Louise Bicken did the filming. Rebecca and I have danced together for a long time. We met uh, back, I'd say, around 2007. A mutual friend introduced us at a dance, and then uh, we actually really got to know each other well in Kieran Jordan's classes in Boston. We both danced with Kieran, and those were, were really good years. <laughs> we uh, spent a lot of time in dance class together and um, sort of started realizing that we had an affinity for the same type of repertoire. We both love old-style step dancing. We're... We're both, I guess, intrigued by the um, the small, the tiny, the small movements in old style step dancing and shanos that uh, that are subtle and that are sort of easily missed, maybe by the casual viewer, but that are the things that dancers themselves um, really enjoy about about dancing. As you were saying, Elizabeth, dance is so often um, sort of an afterthought in the way it's presented. The historical artifacts of dance being created today are often accidental. So in live performance, um, you know, dance can be a last minute add-on. It's not really adequately planned for. The feet can be obscured. It may not even be miked, uh, you know, and as percussive dancers, that that's a challenge. Dancers aren't always brought into the loop with arrangements of tunes. That kind of affects how it, how it presents on stage. Tune choices, lengths, et cetera. Um, and you know, percussive dance really offers its own specific set of challenges for for being presented. So, so we we really had a desire to create something and to find a way to try to create something that could have some permanence and that could bring dance slightly more into the center as far as focus. Not not I'll say more into the center, not center, because to, to have more of an equal position with with uh, music. And we were asking ourselves the question, you know, what would happen if the choices made reflected dance, uh, you know, on an equal footing with music. So we were looking at different um, media for how dance is shared. You know, there's live live performance. There are recordings of live performance, but those those have a lot of problems. There are instructional DVDs. You know, that's one way that dance is spread, and you know that's intentional, but it's focused on teaching, and it's you know you sort of maybe have to compromise the artistic sensibility of something like that. So so we felt that there really wasn't a medium to to share in the way that we were looking for. So we decided to try and model something off of what a musician creates when they make an album. Um, it's a way to, to sort of make intentional choices and to say, you know, this is what we think is good about step dancing. Um, we're, you know, choosing the camera shots, helping choose the tunes, working on transitions, it's a uh, sort of a representation of our dancing and our choices in time in this moment in time, um, and it's it's very much not you know a music video. I guess that's one other way you could you could share dance on video. It's uh, we wanted to honor the choreography and the dancing by not doing too many cuts, too much flashy camera work. It's really not supposed to be that. Um, and I guess ultimately it's uh, it's very hard in you know as a traditional artist. It can be hard to create and to find a way that's new, but that that is not sort of pushing the bounds of a tradition very far. You know, I neither of us have ever really been accused of pushing the bounds of tradition too far. We're pretty traditional dancers, you know. But to try and imagine a different way to share what we do was hard, and uh, in the end, you know, we're we're really pleased with this this first effort doing an audio recording is one thing and that's challenging enough i'm sure if you ask any musician but adding in the the visual element brings so many more considerations and um the merging the audio and the visual finding a space that both sounded good enough you know where the, the feet were clear enough that was a very important for us but also uh, looked interesting, interesting, and was a place that we were connected to. Was very, very hard. That was one of the main challenges of the the project. So, you know, we really 
at the beginning couldn't have imagined actually creating something that we were happy with. By the time we did create something, we we would have just been happy if um you know, if a few people whose music or dancing we respected liked it. That really was our goal. We wanted to create something that the people that we look up to might uh think was a worthy project, I guess. But what we didn't envision was that um you know that it it uh it has gotten some some really nice feedback and we've been so touched. Um we as an afterthought hadn't planned on doing this but entered it into some dance film festivals which is really fun. You know, it's a whole other world that we hadn't anticipated being a part of but uh to our great surprise it was accepted into some of them and um and even won an award which was shocking Yay. for us we uh the utah dance film festival mm -hmm. back in february Congratulations. uh Congratulations. yeah thanks yeah. it got an award in uh sound design for the segment that's up on the board the reels on the board so that was yes. very fun I was going to ask you about the board segment. That's my favorite uh, part of the part of the of the video. Yeah. So the the reels on the board. Um, what you see when you're looking at it is a close up shot of a wooden plank that's sort of maybe maybe three feet in the air, roughly. Uh, you know, supported by um, blocks on either side, so it's raised up, and you see our feet um, facing each other, and then right sort of in the background, but as close as we could get it. You see Chris Stevens' um, hands and fingers and his concertina. He's playing the concertina for this piece. So it's a very, very close-up view. And I guess we this this piece was an, was another sort of open-ended question. You know, what what will happen if we put the feet on the same level as the fingers and the hands? Um, mm. You know, you don't with the style of dance that we do. It's everything is small. All the movement happens below the knees, but really even below the ankles, you know, there's um, so many subtle variations that are very hard to, to translate on a big stage. You know, they, it, it's hard to get them across. It's, it's really not necessarily meant to be done there, you know? So the power of uh, being able to use a camera to bring the viewer into a smaller space is, was sort of one of our inspirations for the project in general, mm -hmm. but especially on this piece, um, you know, what happens when you look closely? Um, the steps and rhythms that we're doing are, are inspired by and are part of the sort of Claire battering tradition, um, which even within all of this that we're talking about is even a smaller, lower to the ground style. So bringing the camera in seemed essential there. And um, yeah, just sort of the parallel of um, what the hands and the fingers are doing and some of the sort of percussive sounds of the fingers on the buttons can, can be heard there, which play into it. And um, the sort of idea that the, the feet are sort of talking to each other uh, and responding to each other, it's sort of a back and forth in the way that, that you are doing when you're dancing, you know, sometimes with your whole body and, and sometimes with your feet. And then at the end of the piece, it kind of zooms back out to the whole body. Most of the piece is very, is in and up close. And then, there's sort of the relief at the end, maybe to um, mm -hmm. zoom out and see what's going on and remember that it's it's part of a whole. So that piece was a lot of fun. And we really, when we were filming it, we weren't really sure it would work and we were, you know, willing to to include it or not if it, if it felt compelling enough. It's oh, beautiful. Yeah, I think first you, effort. You guys, yeah. Will there be yeah. another effort? <laughs> Still be a from the floor too? Oh, we have so many, so many ideas that we'd love to do right now. Um, together and, you know, individually, um, mm -hmm. film sort of, you know, it does open up other possibilities, especially right now, you know, mm -hmm. situation we're in where, where everyone sort of needs to be isolated. It allows for things. Um, let's talk a little bit about that, the social, social isolation and social dancing, uh, the paradox there, how are, how are you dealing with it? How are other artists dealing with it? Yeah, well, 
it's been a really wild year <laughs> for for everyone, of course. But um, Joey, Joey and I had our first baby a year ago, July, last July. So we, you know, we had a crazy six or seven months of wonderful, but just being getting used to being parents. And, um, you know, we moved out of the city that we had done our, our dance and music in for so long. And that really was our home community. And, uh, but you know, most as, as like most artists, it's, you get to a point where you can't necessarily afford to live in the city that you create art in. So we moved, which was a big change. We had a baby. And then just, I'd say, as we were getting in the flow of getting back out and being out in the community, community that's when um, COVID hit. So it's really been been a wild year. We've been at home a lot, um, trying to stay connected and trying to trying to keep the home fires burning while, while we have to do it this way, you know? What um, in in over the past four months uh, during this great pause, so to speak, what have you discovered about yourself personally or, or professionally that you may take forward as we as we regain our footing? Um, I think it's definitely reiterated to us the importance of people and how much of our creative practice or um, art practice relies on the energy exchanged between people in a real setting. You know, none of this is meant to be done in a vacuum. This is, this is a social folk art form. Um, so the challenge is, you know, that, that just has never been more apparent. Um, mm -hmm. And I know that everyone that, that loves this form will We'll hold on to it and we'll continue to do it in isolation, but it's it's not anybody's preferred method, I would imagine. So we I guess are are really looking back on a lot of the the great experiences we've had with people that play and dance and, and doing it together and just waiting waiting to be able to get to do that again. But in the meantime, we've also learned the importance of um, making a daily practice of it, you know, without the sort of, uh, energy of people and gatherings and gigs and things like that to, to keep you moving forward. It's, it's all on you. It's, it's really all on you to keep, to keep yourself going and to, to put your shoes on and dance every day or to pick up your pipes and play every day. How do you feed your creativity? Well, <clears throat> Especially in times like this, um, you know, when you're between between things, in so much as you know, we're not we're not getting together, not teaching in person right now, not traveling. Um, I, I guess what I try to do is in these open stretches, I try to ask myself an open-ended question, set myself a, a question like, especially if I'm having trouble figuring out what to do next, or if, if creatively it's things aren't flowing, I might say to myself. Um, Okay, what will happen if I dance a little bit every day this month? What will happen? And uh, it's, you know, if I put my shoes on and start, and there's no pressure there, you know, it's just what will happen, but something will shift. Something I've done a million times might feel different. Um, a step might come out. You know, I, I, I like to write steps and write dances to tunes. Um, an idea for a project might come out. So, um, I, I have to kind of, that, that's sort of how I keep myself going during these long spaces. Um, yeah. Are you, are you teaching uh, or offering workshops virtually? Have you made the transition to online? To some extent I have. Yeah. I finished out my teaching year, my teaching school year virtually. Um, we've done some, you know, online virtual performing and you know, looking ahead, trying to plan what, what I'm going to do for the fall and how much will be in person and how much will be virtual. Um, mm -hmm. It's hard, you know, it's once again, you know, music can translate online to, to whatever extent it can. But I think once again, dance in its uh, multidimensional and sort of ephemeral nature, it's hard to, to, to put that online and to 
get it across. And especially, you know, teaching online offers a lot of challenges. Percussive dance, again, offers more challenges because of the third sort of the audio track that needs to, to link up with what you're seeing. So um, it's hard, but it's, yeah, because it's what we're all have to do for the time being. Well, one of my big <laughs> inspirations and someone that I've been uh, very lucky to learn from a lot over the years is the old style step dancer, Patrick O'Dee. He's uh, a dancer from, <clears throat> his family's from Roscommon in Ireland. And he uh, has a, a really vast and unique repertoire. He's collected from a lot of old dancers in Ireland, in the US. Um, and it his repertoire really, it's it's a, a set of material that probably otherwise would not be passed on. It's it's stuff that's outside sort of the competitive world. Uh, lots of steps with unique movements, a lot of twistiness, um, uh, let me think now. He's collected steps from really from all over, from Cork, from Kerry, all, all different parts of Ireland, the US. And, um, what I really respect about his approach is his commitment to passing on this repertoire and keeping steps alive that otherwise would would be lost. Um, so I've learned a lot from him and sort of inspired by by his approach, I, I also collect and, and try to learn from as many different dancers and sources as I can and really try and approach it with respect and humility and try to maintain this, this repertoire and, and pass it on. And yeah, Patrick was a protege of the great uh, Joe Donovan. Mm. Yeah. Magnificent court dancer. Yes. Yeah. He, he has learned, had learned a lot from him and, you know, I think went on to, to learn a lot from some of the North Kerry step dancers, another unique localized style of step dancing. Yes. Um, he's yeah. interviewed and learned, I know from a lot of older dancers that, immigrated to the US, you know, he's come over here and, and learned a lot of their steps. So um, it's really important work. And it's, uh, you know, it's often it's the least flashy <laughs> thing, I think that 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 tends to be the most important, you know, it's, it's not big stage shows, it's, it's not high level competition, it's just the, the daily work of, of being part of this tradition, it's playing, playing the tunes and dancing the steps. Mm -hmm. with other people and that's that's all that matters i think what's uh, what's next for you creatively well rebecca and i have a, a good few projects that we'd like to do um potentially under the from the floor you know uh name but um let's see one thing we're thinking about doing is maybe a a short film sort of trying to document uh the process of step creation. We thought that that would be an interesting project. Um, we also, <laughs> we want to get back to, you know, collaborating with, with live musicians as soon as we're allowed to be in the same room as other people. So we've got uh, sort of some plans, plans for that going, but I'll, you know, hope, hope, th hope that that's possible soon. Um, personally, I, uh, I would love to, this is a long-term project and, um, you know, I'm not, not sure. Anyways, this is kind of a long-term project, but I really would love to work on a, a collection of steps that I've collected, the repertoire that, that, that I practice. So Jackie, I, I always ask this of a dancer and it's a very, it's a simple question, but it, it kind of speaks to why you do what you do. Why do you dance? I think that I have to, I, like, I, um, I think I dance because there's, there's no other way I would choose to, to be, you know, to express myself or to, fulfill 
sort of my search for for meaning, like I was saying earlier. Um, I think also with dancing, you know, it's I I'm fairly introverted. It takes me a long time to think of what to say, and I put a lot of thought before I say things. So dancing is a way to to be and to express with it without having to. Um, sometimes it comes more more easily than than other ways. So. Um, I do it for that reason. And then also, I know I've sort of talked a lot about this and I, I don't want to overemphasize it, but I also dance because I, I feel that it's, that it's a responsibility. I've been, I, I have some amount of ability and aptitude and a large amount of commitment and devotion to this style. And given those two things, I think it's important to dance and to, to keep doing it and to keep sharing to whatever ability I can. I have a question. Yeah. Are you still playing the concertina? And do you find that it's informed that playing music has informed how you dance or, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you, do you, can you play the concertina without thinking about dance? Well, that's a good question. I am still playing. Um, <clears throat> I've been playing for an embarrassingly, embarrassingly long time to be at the level that I'm at, but I mean, playing to, to, you know, whatever intermediate level I will, I will ever achieve absolutely has an effect on dancing. Um, I notice that if I'm dancing a tune that I know how to play on the concertina, I have uh, a much, a much more intuitive sense of, of where the tune is, is going to go. I mean, as a dancer, even if you don't play an instrument, you know, a lot of tunes you, you end up, you have to, um, but you know them, I think in a different way, if you, if you're able to play them as well. So, sort of the the phrasing of it um the ability to add in ornamentation in dancing i think definitely relates to to your understanding of ornamentation as a musician um i think also being able to sort of predict what you think a musician is going to do if you're dancing and they're playing uh you know are they going to draw out a note are they going to put in a pickup note you 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 can have a little bit of a, a better understanding if you if you've studied music in, in some way or, or learned an instrument. So concertina has definitely helped. And, um, and I just, yeah, you know, part of my, my whole quest here is to, to be a part of all this. That's what I, as a teenager, you know, as I said, I loved Irish music, but I, I never imagined that I, I could play. It seemed like um, magic. It seemed like they were all magicians and they had this special skill that uh, I could, I could never hope to have, but later, you know, coming, first later to dancing and then later to playing it uh really has opened up it's 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 you know taken over my life it's what's what my life has been for the last 15 years and playing is another way to connect with people and um speak a common language without speaking so would you recommend that dancers uh, pick up an instrument i i would for sure with an open-mindedness and an understanding that it it will probably take a long time. And the people that are really good at music have been doing it for their entire lives and they've devoted themselves to it. But it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's rewarding in so many ways. And I think more and more about this, you know, after having had a baby, um, I think it's good to have a way to, to be a part of something that you love that, that isn't necessarily physical. Um, you know, if you're, as a woman who, if you do anything that, that's physical, if you're an athlete, a gymnast, a dancer, and that's a big part of your identity, um, you know, having having kids will change that for a while. And it sort of made me think about the long term and how important playing music might be someday when I'm, when I'm older, or maybe, you know, it's, it's, you can't dance. Dancing as you, as you kind of Dancing changes faster, I think, for people than, than music. You can play music when you're very old. I'm not sure about mm. dancing. Yes, but yeah. Your body betrays you. Mm-hmm. I think I've had a little dancer. little taste of that. Yes. <laughs> Your pregnancy yeah. and yeah. becoming a mom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By the same token, would you uh, would you suggest that uh, musicians uh, uh, take to the floor? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, Might not be pretty. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know a lot of musicians who are secretly very good dancers. Yes. And they, uh, 
they won't admit to it. And, um, you know, and others may, maybe not the case, but, uh, I, I think that, I think it's only really in the last, I don't know, hundred years, maybe that, that, that there's, there needs to be, or there, there is so much of a division between the people that practice music and the people that practice dance. Um, you know, this, I think it was much more common, um, in the past for people to do a bit of both or a lot of both. And the understanding of those two things as being inseparable comes along with that. And it's only when you, uh, separate the two and sort of push both of them into professionalism or, uh, you know, competitive heights, say of step dancing, that those crafts sort of separate and, there is there is a loss, you know, when that happens, and um, having having an understanding of both forms can only be good. Yes. Yeah. You know, I've been thinking a lot about um, what it means for us all to be going virtual and to put to put our art and our music and our dance online. And uh, I think the thing that's that's tough about it is that you know not not everyone can access it. It's um, older musicians, older dancers, uh, you know, can have a hard time getting online, even just getting online and getting their work online and being a part of what's going on online. So that's hard. But then the other big thing and what I've, what I've been thinking a lot about lately is what this has done and may do to the set dancing community and the social dance community, which is, you know, I cons would consider my, my home community, the, the, the people and the the dance that, that got me into this um you know it's going to be a long time before group dancing and and kaylee's and group classes come back so mm -hmm. it's uh I, I guess the 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 things that i find important about this tradition are i think are also the things that are hard to put online so i worry i worry about that and um i do wonder if you know sort of the long-term implications are going to be um a combination of being adaptive and finding new forms that we don't even know yet but also sort of a return to localism and investing and making and playing music with the people that are around you joey and i have been thinking about that a lot lately and that um i think this the pandemic is really going to change make have a huge impact on traditional music and dance in ways that we we can't predict but yes i do hope that that we will all sort of reinvest locally mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know you asked what my inspiration is I, I think most most dancers and musicians would would say one of their main inspirations is is the community that they're a part of you know it's it's the people and the the time that you spend the um I guess it's it's like the the hours the hours that you spend with with the people that that love the same thing you do they all add up you you can't tell when it's happening but over time they add up to something really meaningful and unspoken you know it's a something you've shared and built that can only be done slowly and in the same space mm -hmm. and that's how I feel also about my students you know especially the teens that have been with me since they were kids um all those hours in the studio together they they mean they really mean something it's a real experience and in in the world today where we're all searching for for real experiences you know we live half virtually and music and dance is <clears throat> it's a way for a lot of us to feel real i guess yeah, yeah. it speaks to your soul yeah 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 definitely mm-hmm well, thank you so much, Jackie. Oh, this thanks. Absolutely delightful. It was, it, was, it was great to chat with you again. It's been far too long. Likewise, it really is my pleasure. And um, yeah, it's not often that I uh, get the chance to to really talk about something that means the most to me. You know, it's, yes. <laughs> it's, uh, it's kind of hard to talk about it, but it's good. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Well, this, is the, this has been wonderful. Likewise. Thank you for your time. Well, my pleasure. You you guys too. So if you liked this episode, you could help us out by giving it a five-star rating on Apple or wherever you download your podcasts. Also, 
Be sure to tell your friends about us because your enthusiasm is helping the world to discover our small but mighty festival. I'd like to thank Jackie O'Reilly for joining Elizabeth McDonald and me. You can find out more about Jackie and her projects on her website at JackieO'Reilly.com. Our incidental music was performed by Chris Stevens and Nathan Gorley with percussion from Jackie O'Reilly and Rebecca McGowan. Those recordings came from the visual album From the Floor. You can download this album by going to fromthefloordance.com. Mark Bashinsky is our sound engineer. Our theme music is a track called Echo from the amazing Talisk, who are based in Scotland. Thank you, Talisk. If you want to find out more about them, you can check out their website at talisk.co.uk. We'd like to say Gudamayagat to the Emigrant Support Program of the Department of Foreign Affairs of the Government of Ireland. We greatly appreciate your support. Between the Jigs is a production of the Rejigged Festival. Thanks for inviting us into your headphones. I'm Christine Donnelly-Mong. See you next time. <laughs>